You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. All right, Al, how's it going? How are you? Happy New Year. This is the last, um, well, I'm trying to think of when this episode will go out. Uh, <laughs> it is currently one of the last days of the decade. It is. Yeah, The I'd say the episode should be up on, on New Year's Day. Yeah, so this is indeed a happy new year and happy new decade. Excellent. Happy new episode. <laughs> yes. Oh, so you have a, a wonderful, a simply wonderful Christmas time. I certainly did, yeah. Better than last Christmas. Oh, because you gave me my heart and the very next day you gave it away? Or because you're a Vietnam? Bit of both, bit of both. <laughs> Columbia, Columbia. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's good Good to be back with uh, all the family and nice traditional Christmas, all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, very happy to be back and uh, excited to be jumping into some tarot spoilers today. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is, it's, it's going to be a whole new format. This already seems like it's going to be a very, very high-powered, high-powered uh, introduction standard. Oh, yeah. And pioneer even. Oh, definitely. All right, well, a few things to note before we kick off. Uh, we, we do sound a little bit different than we did last week because we're actually recording online again This with this new technology that we're able to do now um, just because it didn't didn't quite suit to, to meet up in person this time. And uh, we're also missing Kieran because he's off gallivanting. I don't know, what's he doing? Uh, he's having a meal I think it's it's one of those um, you know we're kind of still in the, the uh, Christmas time of like uh, you know, those few days where no one knows what anyone's doing uh, everyone has all their schedules which I guess is part of why we're doing this online yeah. rather than in person because uh, yeah because <laughs> it's I mean I don't even know what day of the week it is no. one day there we go that's yeah there's so many so many family obligations and things you're just like oh I don't know can't commit to anything or the Christmas so uh, yeah, that's again. It is part of what we're doing online. So yeah, but uh, no care on this time. Should be should be yeah. from next week, hopefully, and hopefully we'll be able to to organize it in person next week as well. I actually I will be here. I should have this off mic. I'm going on holidays next week, so you'll be Alan this uh, next week. Damn, damn. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it'll be, it'll be a while. Um, a couple of weeks, couple of weeks. We'll have a a, f- yeah. a full roster again. Exactly. Uh, and then while we're here, I'm gone. Boy, are we going to slander him? Yeah, just as much as he slandered me when I wasn't here last time. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, we had Dave there to to slander as well at the, at the time, so <laughs> to go fuel in the fire. But um, yeah, let's jump into these spoilers, and then maybe slander here won't come up. And actually, I think I have one way to bring him up. All right, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear yeah. about it. But uh, before we kick off, I will uh, mention our our affiliate program with InkGaming.com. We we have a new way. For people to to check out the discounts on ickgaming.com, you no longer punch in any codes or anything like that. It's super, super simple. All you need to do is go to your web browser and type in inkedgaming.com forward slash skullcrack, and you will be redirected to their store page, and you'll be able to to make your order from there, and it'll apply your discount automatically. So uh, no no more finicky codes and things to be punched in. And uh, if you want to head over there, you'll be able to get custom play mats throw whatever image you want on there get the nice stitched edging and get plenty of other gaming supplies even a few board games thrown in so uh yeah inkedgaming.com forward slash school crack is going to be the the address to go to from now on so thank you to inked gaming 
excellent. Save that to your homepage. Uh, make that into a bookmark. Very nice, easy. Nice, nice to easy. Easy to remember. That's a nice to remember. Nice, easy to remember. Very nice to easy URL to remember. Um, and put that onto your browser and go there and do all the stuff that David said to do. Sure, look, it's going to be in the show notes. All you need to do is just click on the little hyperlink. You don't even need to punch in that that uh, that address. I'll I'll do it for you. Oh, and you know what? If you um, here's here's a pro tip. Uh, if you click the mouse wheel button, because you know, the mouse wheel on the mouse is like a button as well. If you click a hyperlink with that, it opens up in a new tab. Did you just find this information out like recently? Uh, no. <laughs> all right, all right. No shame. I mean, I still right click and open a new tab, but um, yeah, because sometimes what I'm. Oh, look up, look, I'm here all these, oh, Pharaoh's spoilers. Oh, look at this. You hear that? Opening them, opening them all up in the tabs. <laughs> uh, like you'll be doing with the uh, skull crack uh, in gaming uh, URL that David will have in the show notes. Yeah. We'll see you can uh, middle mouse click on that to your heart's content. Well, let's jump in, shall we? Oh, yes. Let's jump right into the underworld of Taros. Hmm. Back in Taros. How does that make you feel? As, also, as a general, before we start, we're back in Taros. Are you excited? Oh, I'm excited. Theros was the, well, not Theros, but uh, Journey into Nyx, I think, was the most recent set when I started playing Magic. So it's very nostalgic for me to see all this Theros stuff. It's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, so I, I think Theros was just rotated when I started. So it was always kind of mysterious. Like, uh, I never knew what, you know, I never quite knew what devotion was until I was playing for a few years, because I never really uh, no, I needed to look notice stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm not quite familiar with a. Uh, Really, just the gameplay of devotion in a limited form, in a limited, limited format. Same with uh, the gods. Well, obviously, gods are going to come into it less often in limited. But um, I'm kind of finding it hard to evaluate some of these cards without knowing, kind of like without knowing how many enchantments are going to be in the set. If, if that makes sense. Like, uh, can you imagine uh, evaluating, uh, you know, Kaladesh cards without knowing how many artifacts are going to be in the set if you never saw an artifact ladder set before? Yes, because I've never seen an enchantment ladder set set before. I mean, it's kind of you know. I kind of when I look at when I'm reading these cards, I kind of have to remind myself, oh, there will be enchantments everywhere. Presumably, uh, there'll be creatures as well. So this is a uh, quite different for me. Yeah, well, I mean, I I also don't really know because I never played the limited of of Theros, but I do know that the enchantment theme in Theros wasn't as pushed as people wanted it to be. Like it was kind of hyped up as an enchantment matter set, but then it ended up not being all that all that much of one it did have like constellation but there i feel like there weren't there just weren't enough enchantments to to make a to make a proper uh enchantment matters team but it's it, it's always been something that um what's his name marrow <laughs> it's always been something that he wants to like revisit and and fix in a an, any subsequent tarot set so we should see that this time okay yeah that, that'd be exciting to see them once they roll through because yeah i definitely feel like i've been i've been under evaluating um the the channel cards I've seen so far. Yeah. Yeah, that changes as spoilers are revealed. Well, let's go through a few of the cards uh, that have been spoiled so far. We won't, won't talk about all of them, just the, the most noteworthy ones. Um, so we'll kick off with kind of the two face cards of the set, which are the two Planeswalkers. Uh, there is a third Planeswalker, but we don't know what it is yet. Um, oh, it's exciting. So I'll, I'll go for Ashiok, because Ashiok doesn't really have any new mechanics or anything like that. Um... So, right, so we have Ashiok, Nightmare Muse. So Ashiok was, was in Theros previously as well, and I don't 100% know that Ashiok has a particular connection to Theros. I know that Ashiok is not from Theros, so I guess it's just player expectation that has Ashiok back again on Theros, but I don't know. Anyway, so it looks like a pretty cool card. Um, so three blue-black for a Legendary Planeswalker Ashiok. Starts on five loyalty. 
plus one, create a two, three blue and black nightmare creature token with whenever this creature attacks or blocks, each opponent exiles the top two cards of their library. Minus three, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, then that player exiles a card from their hand. And minus seven, you may cast up to three face-up cards your opponents own from exile without paying their mana costs. So seems like a reasonable blue-black planeswalker. Um, it does create creature tokens, so if you're playing this in like a pure control deck, then you're probably giving your opponent um, targets for their removal. And just creating a 2-3 is not like super strong. And the ability on the 2-3 is also not very strong. But it is reasonable defense on a plus 1. It's gone up to 6. Um, and then the minus 3 is also pretty decent as well. Like if the opponent doesn't have anything in hand, then you're going to exile whatever the thing is on the board. And it gets any non-land permanent as well. So that could be quite good. Um, if they have other stuff in hand, then obviously that's not as good. And then the ultimate is obviously just you know really good value. Yeah, I suppose that I think the way you described the plus one there, I think that really that, that really describes the I guess the unfortunate play pattern this card will fall into. It's like if you're in a control, control deck, presuming that this goes into control deck, if you're in a control deck, um, yeah, you plus it, you have the planeswalker six, uh, you have a get you three to kill it immediately, well, you know, whatever removal spell they have, you know, stacked in their hand at this point. And then I guess then like it's you will still you'll still be plusing the make tokens, maybe they'll die, maybe they'll block, maybe you know, maybe they'll they'll just eat removal. But uh it's like you're you're not always going to get. You're not always going to be ticking up towards the inevitable ult if you're not able to exile many of their cards. If that, if that makes sense, because you know, following the play pattern you described, it's possible you might have to stick up to seven, and you know, you might think, oh, maybe I'll ult. Then you really ult. Uh, you know, I suppose then you realize, oh well, my opponent doesn't have any cards in exile, so this is going to do uh, nothing. Yeah, also very true. Yeah, that the the ult does depend on the opponent having cards in exile and. You know that there are only two pluses from this before you can ultimate it. So potentially you could have attacked. You could have done the ability from the nightmare creatures like three times, I suppose, by the time you ult. Um, but also you could have done it zero times. Uh, but there is another mechanic in the set that plays into the exile. So on the other face planeswalker of the set, so we have Elspeth. She's back from the dead. Elspeth, son's nemesis. She's no longer the champion of the sun. She's the nemesis of the sun. Uh, so she's two white white and she's five loyalty. So four mana, five loyalty planeswalker. Pretty good. But uh, she only has minus abilities. So she has minus one up to two target creatures you control. Each get plus two, plus one until end of turn. It's okay. Uh, minus two, create two one one white human soldier creature tokens. Also okay. Minus three, you gain five life. Not great, but you know, could be good in a pinch. And then the the key here is she has the new manic new mechanic uh, escape. So she has escape four white white exile four other cards from your graveyard. So that means you can cast her from your graveyard for her escape cost. So you, you pay the the mana and exiling other cards from your graveyard, and then you'll cast her again, and she'll come back to the battlefield again. And you can do this as many times as you want, as long as you can pay the cost, as long as you have other cards in your graveyard to exile. Um, so Ashiok kind of benefits from Ashiok both hates this ability, like hates against it and benefits from it. So Ashiok hates against it by keeping the number of graveyard cards in your opponent's graveyard uh, lower by doing, you know, by exiling stuff. Um, and then also uh, can benefit from it by taking the exiled cards that that people have 
exiled themselves with their escape abilities with Ashiok's ultimate. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's kind of assuming that there's going to be an environment where people will be exiled in the graveyard through abilities like this, like escape, and yeah, that kind of that does bump Ashiok up a little bit. Um, and I suppose, yeah, as for, as for Elspeth, I think yeah, it's a very strange planeswalker to pack that only takes down. I think um, I think a lot of people are undervaluing this because, you know, it's three abilities are quite lackluster. Uh, they, and it is obviously losing loyalty when you're doing this, so it's leaving itself exposed. Uh, well, apart from if you're making two uh, one wise soldiers. Uh, but I think just the fact that it's, you know, just the fact that it's just, you know, just, it's, it's a recurring planeswalker, that's, I mean, that's enough to, you know, push an entire level of, of being playable. I think, um, especially kind of for the, you know, for the likes of like the white mini decks or the green white decks, uh, it's really kind of shores up a weakness they have in terms of, you know, improving their longevity. It gives us a really good game. I mean, if you have, if you think of play pattern of, um, if Elspeth is on two, yeah, if, if you start out, you turn off, Elspeth's already on two loyalty, uh, you minus two to make two one on white human soldiers, then you can cast this for six mana, uh, exiling four other cards from graveyard, right? get the Elspeth back again, and then minus two again, and then you just have, boom, you're four, four one on white human soldiers, just like old Elspeth. Which, Six mana. Well, Els- old Elspeth made three, but she also. It's even better. Well, she plussed for three. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that was a, that, that's really the main difference. But um, yeah. I guess yeah. So I suppose it does allow you to use two of these abilities in one turn. Uh, in the late, if if you're going going to the bit of late game where you're not, you're out of you're running out of seed in your hand or seed on the board, uh, you just have this recurrent dread. Yeah, yeah. That is the the good thing about her. It, it's um not often that you see that type of thing in a white deck. So. Uh, I think she is a really good card, and I mean, even just doing something like using the minus two the first time, and then just using the minus one like three turns in a row after that should be quite good in any kind of aggressive or mid rangey white deck. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's one of those. I'm trying to, I'm trying to imagine what white decks would look like in uh, this new standard. I mean, all I can think of are just Luxon decks. Does white do anything else right now? No, no, right. <laughs> Okay, hope maybe this might open up so you have a use, yeah, like if you said, kind of make it more mid rangey, uh, even though I guess this is kind of like a, yeah, I guess it's like a value creature matters thing, but I guess they can open this one, not really. Yeah, yeah, uh, she also contributes to white devotion, that's true, yeah, that's yeah, and, and again, like, 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 I guess a bunch of the start, it's like that's something that I really have undervaluated, underevaluated, uh, yeah, like how much how these cards will be contributing to devotion for. Uh, whatever cards do pair red. And uh, we have a card here that benefits from white devotion. So we have Daxos, blessed by the sun. He is back also from the underworld. Uh, and he's a demigod now. So I think previously he was a champion. I don't remember. 100%. He was returned then as well. Oh, his mask is off. Yeah. There's a shield. <laughs> I actually have no idea about anything about the, the Theros uh, uh, lore. We should make our own shit up. Well. Um, I mean, originally Daxos was like a blue-white card, and he was just like a human dude, but then I think he died. I think he was, I don't know, he was friends with Elspeth or something, but she killed him by accident, something like that. I'm not sure. And then uh, and then he was a white-black card in Commander, but here he is now in mono, in mono-white, so he's white-white uh, for a legendary enchantment creature demigod, and he's, his, he's two, and two power and then star toughness, and it says his toughness is equal to your devotion to white, and whenever another creature you control enters the battlefield or dies, you gain one life. Oh, I really don't see this card at all. I mean, no, we've got you're going to get a big, big toughness. It's a two five. I mean, I suppose it's kind of I try to just, again see where it kind of fits into the white deck. Uh, I mean, let's like, you know, what is this white deck doing? Are you defensive? 
dating life you're having a booty um well look yeah he, he's he's minimum a two-two because of himself right and then whatever else goes on the battlefield he can he can benefit from that obviously he's not getting power so it's not great uh but i think the the game one life is interesting because of like cards like a johnny's pride mate and stuff like that yeah i guess so. i suppose yeah it's that's that's always like a, an archetype where like it never really takes seriously uh but like me maybe something like this will push it uh, and again this is an enchantment as well so it's, that's probably something else i am missing and uh, that it's yeah it's got two white pips and it's an enchantment for all the things care about that it could combo together with the uh the soul sisters cards in historic oh <laughs> because yeah yeah that's that's true I don't know. I mean, I, I was. It's it's very hard for me not to poo poo historic, but no, it is a thing. Yeah, kind of. Um. All right. Well, I think I think Daxos is reasonably good. Um. Certainly, any aggressive white weenie deck, I think, will probably want him. Uh. Just incidental gaining life. Uh. Seems reasonable to me. Like there, there could be. I don't know. There could be ways to use the life. Pay, you know, pay life, or it could just be good in like aggressive mirror matches where you are going to stay ahead on a race because you're just gaining life incrementally off creatures that you're playing i don't know yeah uh, I, I guess yeah and creatures go yeah either being or dying i guess i'll almost kind of doubles the speed of yeah i get life and, and tokens yeah well tokens go in i'll spend your game too yeah i can see it yeah it's okay it's not it's not blowing me away here but you know all right uh another mechanic sagas are back they make a lot of sense for theros Oh yes, I'm super into it. So we have uh, the Akroan War. So it's a three and a red for an enchantment saga. It's a rare, and same as previous sagas, it enters the battlefield and gets a lore counter. And then after your draw step, you add a, another lore counter. So over the course of several turns, and this has three steps again, similar to previous sagas. So here, the first one is. Gain control of target creature for as long as the Akron War remains on the battlefield. So that's interesting. So that's one mana extra for a threaten, but you're getting to keep the creature for for three turns, basically. Uh, but it doesn't get haste. Um, yeah. Then step two is until your next turn, creatures your opponents control attack each combat if able. And then step three is each tapped creature deals damage to itself equal to its power. So this is very interesting. So it basically encourages you to be attacking your opponent, um, but you probably want to be ahead in the race before you do this. Uh, but I suppose taking control of their creature does allow you to kind of swing that a bit. And then you don't actually need to attack if you don't want to. Um, you could just let your opponent's stuff attack, um, and then all their stuff will deal damage to itself. And of course, you can attack with their creature that you stole with this to make sure that it kind of doesn't go back to them. Um, so you have some control over that as well. I don't know, it's a weird card. I'm not entirely sure where it goes, but uh seems more like a limited thing. But also interesting is, you know, Sagas being enchantments for this enchantment theme set. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I think it's 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 really interesting to kind of see how, see how this card play out in, in an environment with lots and lots of creatures, uh, like, like, like limited. Uh, it's a shame it's rare so I guess we'll see it less often but I guess it will be very very powerful was anything but rare um, I'm thinking so like if you yeah that's, that's assuming pain is unlimited uh, and you can take control of the opponent's creature I think based on the other two abilities it's very unlikely that your opponent's going to get your creature back at all because either you can 
either there or forced to, to attack into it, and you can jump with it, or you can uh, you know make a trade uh, with the creature you're taking, or in on the third second attack, uh, you can yeah it, it might you know, kill itself by dealing. Um, oh, no, it should be tapped actually. It will, no, it will not be tapped. It, what it, if you if you attack with it, it'll, it'll be tapped. No, because this this uh, turns off at the start of your main phase, right? Uh, if you have creature, oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And um, can kill their nano else? No. Well, I guess I mean I suppose if, if you're in the market of killing it, uh, you very will end up trading it off in the second separate saga through combat, you know, by jumping or something. And uh, if that's not favorable, for, if favorable for you, I mean, you might end up just getting like a, a board wipe with the third. It's not too. I mean, remember we saw what was that? What well, remember, remember there's a, a Boros card. I think it was a Ward of Spark that like people realized, oh, this actually kills every single every single creature in the standard format. Uh, so many creatures have a larger higher end of this. Yeah, it was the the four mana wrath. Yeah, Solar Blaze. Solar Blaze. Yeah. So I guess with that in mind, and I guess what really happens then is you play this, you take your creature on their second turn. They no, oh, they have to attack. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, maybe this is forward like with some extra value. But I suppose three turns away. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, be, because it's the last step, your opponent can kind of play around it. Like, if they have abilities that tap their own creature... No, that doesn't make sense. If they have abilities that untap their creature, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I was going to say, maybe they just don't attack in the second turn, but then they have to, because that's what, that's what the thing says. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's kind of... I mean, I think it's... I mean, it's, I, I think it's very unlikely you'll see standard play, because, you know, standard... I mean, at least at the moment, standard isn't about that kind of... You know, those kind of fourth states uh, will be very interesting and limited. And there will be lots of really kind of cool, cool, interesting turns with this. But I don't think we'll see it much past that. Yeah, I would also be skeptical of seeing this in, in standard. But yeah, you never know. Yeah. Um. All right, Satessan Champion. Tireless Tracker is back. Satessan. Yeah. What did you think it was? No, I, I'm just trying to figure it out. If I, if I, I'm trying to see if I know what that word means. And what I, I was trying to pay off as if I knew what the word mean, means, but I... No, oh, is, it, is that a normal word? Satessa is one of the Satessa is one of the city states in in Teros. So it's like okay, yes, it's a, you know, it's a it's a proper it's a proper noun or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, t- tireless tracker is back, uh, but this time it's tireless tracker for enchantments instead of lands. It has enchantment fall, otherwise known as constellation. Uh, so it's two and a green for a creature human warrior. It's a 1-3, and it says Consolation. Whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Satessan Champion and draw a card. This is great. This is bananas. Even, even without knowing how many enchantments are going to be going into play, uh, like this, has to be, this, this has to be crazy. Yeah, like it seems good. It's obviously not nearly as good as, um, as Tireless Tracker. I'm being a bit facetious there comparing it, but... Um, like obviously you 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 know you are going to play a lot of lands over the course of the game, whereas realistically, how many enchantments are you going to have in your deck? Uh, but yeah, this getting a counter, so it makes it like a good size, and then you getting your card back does obviously make it quite good. I guess you know getting a counter means that you probably are looking to be aggressive with this card, but then the base stats are more defensive. Um, so there's a bit of tension there, but uh, I guess you would be looking to pair this with like auras, like some kind of heroic style deck, maybe um, heroic style deck with, with auras rather than just instants and sorceries, um, and that would be that would be ideal. 
because you could keep your card flow going and, and continue to be aggressive. Yeah, that'd be insane if we if we get enough support for that. That that, that would be that would be bonkers. Or or just if there are if there are enough other like enchantment creatures that are aggressively statted, then obviously that that works too. Yeah, it's, yeah, but that's because I guess I mean as well. You kind of want kind of want uh, you playing cheap enchantments as well to get like so you can maybe do this twice in twice in one turn, especially with drawn cards. I mean, like it's if you see a card like this, that's you know that has the same text except it's for whatever an artifact then it's battlefield. I mean, there's so many cheap artifacts. Obviously, obviously that's going to be insane. Uh, so I mean, it's. I mean, if we see some, you know, like a decent cycle of one mana enchantments, there's a one mana enchantment that replaces itself like we had before in other formats. That that that, that could just launch this into like an insane uh, value engine. Yeah, I could certainly see that, but we are really kind of depending on the rest of the tarot set for that because that, as it stands, that's not really available in standard right now. Like. I would be thinking to try to pair that, you know, put this in in a, some kind of a maybe a green white aggressive enchantment team deck where you maybe can use like something like all that glitters to make a really big dude that you can attack with. Yeah, that is good. Well, one card that would be good to use, but unfortunately is in is in blue white is uh, the next card, Staggering Insight. So it's an enchantment aura, and it says enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one plus one and has lifelink and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So that's pretty good. It's similar to Curious Obsession, except it costs one mana more, white mana more, uh, and there's no downside. So you, you don't lose it if the creature doesn't attack or whatever. Yeah, actually, I, that, and that is pretty significant because I guess it's, yeah, obviously that was a pretty big downside to um, yeah. Curious Obsession. Uh, I think it's oh, as was when I first saw this, I was like, "Oh, it's pure, pure suggestion, except you're paying the extra mana for everything, which you don't need, which is shit." But uh, no, yeah, I guess obviously you know, without that downside, it does yeah, you know jump up a little bit. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think about like, if we have like any like cheap flyers or like kind of something evasive. Uh, you know, obviously, you're really just kind of looking at the same kind of play patterns we saw with uh, with pure um, suggestion before. Yeah, again, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, hmm. Yeah, I guess cheap evasive threats. What have we got still left in standard? We've got Terramander. Is, is that it? Yeah, I think that's probably more. There's um when you're looking at white, we we have um what's the one one white flyer? I think healers healer hawk. Yeah, healers hawk. <laughs> Unfortunately, it already has I think. <laughs> yeah, so, but I mean, I mean, it's, yeah, that's what you do. I mean, um, basically, the the lifelink is almost irrelevant on this card, right? Yeah. Yeah, really, put it that way. But that's but now to say a way the life thing would not be irrelevant is if you're pairing it like like you said with a Satessan champion. If like if you if you're if if there is support like what well, you know we're a two colors down, so so maybe this is this this, this does work. Um, but if you're if you're paying the way that let's say if instead of saying uh you know you draw a card, it might as well say you know your opponent has to block this creature because they don't want you to draw a card. But let's say the real play pattern plays out is you put this on a creature and your opponent has to block it. Uh, hopefully it's if, if if this becomes if you're forced your opponent to jump block every turn and you're gaining life then uh, even though you're not drawing card you're getting getting a lot of life and they're losing creatures maybe you're getting ahead uh, maybe that's more play pattern for limited yeah yeah you definitely are um I I, I just I'm not 100 percent sure if the the fact that this is in two colors and costs two mana is is enough anymore uh, after curious obsession you know I like I don't know if the deck is there. But yeah, yeah, it needs to be seen. I mean, we should see 
some like some playable things in I, i'm assuming in the band colors um from what we've seen so far here e- even just from looking at this a blue white card and a green card that have uh like enchantments matter stuff on them um well i mean i guess this is not really enchantments matter but it is an enchantment payoff itself so i'm assuming the blue white color pair you know has some enchantment stuff going on and and it did in throne of eldraine so yeah so yes i mean i was also kind of i'm struggling to see now i guess because it's like it, it's a you know it's a color intensive two drop that uh you want to have an aggressive deck but you're not gonna be able to you can't you know how reliably are, are you gonna be casting this on turn two in a deck that really needs to do it if you're if you're going down that road yeah and like the the mana for two color decks is kind of iffy as well um obviously you have hollowed fountain but and we'll see later we we have got the temple uh the old temples spoiled here as well so something like temple of enlightenment um if you play that on turn one tapped then you know you're not you're not playing a one drop that you can stick this enchantment on yeah which is certainly a downside yeah so yeah it was like your your mana fixing is now your one drops you know that's yeah yeah it's kind of weird so we, we, it remains to be seen. That's that's a big question mark, but it certainly looks the part. You know, it it looks like it's curious obsession. So what remains to be seen is: are there enough pieces around it to put that deck together again? Yeah, yeah. All right. We also have the return of the gods. So I love these Taros gods. I think they they've been the best. My my favorite, my personal favorite implementation of like god mechanics so far. Yeah, I mean it's like I. I'd like to say the Scarab God, but no, yeah, the, I think I think just straight up insertable creatures like um, in Mammoket and uh, the ridiculous recursion of gods in War Spark and in uh, Arid Devastation. I'll read you a pale comparison to um, the ocean, it's just in terms of flavor and in terms of balance as well. It's just this is a really kind of neat way to uh, have the power of gods such creatures. Yeah, so here we have Clothis, God of Destiny. So uh, Clothis is taking the part of, uh, what was the dude's name? The Sator? Oh, um, I know this. Uh, damn it. <laughs> Zenigos. Zenigos? Yeah, you got there. Yeah. Boom, I am a Theros lore master mind. <laughs> I, yeah, so. I just today learned what Setesson means. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. go ahead. Yes, Zenigos was the previous red green god, but here we have a different red green god. Don't know if Clothis was always the Red Green God or um, briefly displaced by Xenagos or something, but there's this whole thing in like Taros lore where whenever like a new god comes to be uh, because of the belief of people, it is as if that god had always been and people can't remember what it was like before the god was there. And gods can also, you know, like quote unquote die because they've lost belief. Uh, like they dwindle away to nothing and then a new god might arise in their place and people again will will not remember the old god uh, and will just think that the new one was always there so that seems to have been what happened here but the card for clothis is absolutely nuts i am super into this card so it's it's a one red green for clothis god of destiny legendary enchantment creature god four five on the toughness uh, power and toughness uh, indestructible, and as long as your devotion to red and green is less than seven, Clothis isn't a creature. So same as previous uh, iterations of of Theros gods, we have a two color one. So the the number there is seven. Devotion is 
less than seven uh, Clothis isn't a creature. And then the actual ability uh, on Clothis is at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, exile target card from a graveyard, so yours or opponent's. If it was a land card, add red or green. Otherwise, you gain two life and Clothis deals two damage to each opponent. Yeah, this, like it, this is Terra Shaman. It's, it's yeah. a Terra Shaman that becomes a 4-5 and kills your opponent in the, in the big game. Yeah. Oh, this is bananas. This, this, this is great. Uh, like that's like four 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 like life swing being like the worst case scenario. Otherwise, you're like ramping every turn, well, not every turn. Yeah, so it's a it's a split. You know, it, it's doing a bunch of things. It it can it can ramp. It can uh, deal damage to your opponent. It can put you out of range. Um, it obviously exiles cards from graveyards, so that's good against escape cards as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, maybe that loan was pushed into, into the table zone because. Yeah, not only is it this very powerful threat that's adding to your game plan. I mean, I feel like this fits this fits straight into Gruel in its current iteration. Uh, if, if you're just being that aggressive, uh, it does exactly what that deck wants to do. And then also, yeah, it's just a random hoser to uh, what might be what might be a very powerful strategy for other players to play uh, against you in this format. Yeah, yeah. and like you, you might think to yourself, oh, well, it's not really that good against escape. I, I just get to exile like one card a turn. Uh, like, what if they put their escape card in the graveyard and then and then use the escape ability in the same turn? But you have to remember also that the escape ability itself will pretty much, uh, well, so far I think every iteration that we've seen of it will will require you to uh, exile other cards from the graveyards. So Clothis can can keep the number of cards in the graveyard down so that your opponent potentially, you know, you don't necessarily just have to exile the card with escape you can just keep the number of cards in the graveyard down so that the the, the opponent doesn't have enough to actually activate their escape ability. Yeah, and I think, and I, like, I know it's like the, well, just looking at these here, I think to elite the, the kind of the cheapest escape cost in terms of exile cards is three. So like, well, like, so long, like they do require you to exile like a large number of cards from the graveyard. So it seems like any kind of, uh, even a minor amount of um, interaction or interference to the graveyard will, yeah, cripple that kind of strategy. Classes does very well. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, the triumphant return of Gary. Oh, yes. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe it. So uh, the scourge of, of pauper everywhere. Um, Gary is now an uncommon. So it's it's Grey Merchant of Asphodel, for those who, who do not know. It's a three black back for a, a creature zombie. And when it enters the battlefield, each opponent loses X life, where X is your devotion to black. And you gain life equal to the life loss this way. Uh, and it's a 2-4. So just by itself, it's a 2-4 drain for 2. Um, each opponent loses 2 and you and you gain that amount. Um, and then in any kind of mono-black devotion deck, it can you know it can be the last spell of the game. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like in... God, there's so many, so many, so many ways to this card. Uh, I guess I'll... I guess but my first impression of even seeing... Uh, Grey Merchant, even like a, you know, back when I saw that card for the first time years ago, and kind of I, I knew it was very very powerful, and I kind of saw it as being like, I guess in a way it's it's very it's a very simple take on the devotion mechanic. It's just oh, it's just a drain. What X is what your devotion is. I feel like in design, that was something that they had really, uh, was had to really you know under the power level they really underestimated because you know so many times if you're at parity or a little bit ahead, uh, you just play this and the game's over. Um, so I'm surprised they reprinted it because I kind of saw it as. Almost like being a mistake, um, but then yeah, and I, I suppose I didn't. In terms of standard environment, to them, obviously we have mono black, 
your mono black is an aggressive deck. Uh, it's like as it gives you a lot, a lot of heavy. Um, I mean, there's some builds that play the tree drop, the triple black tree drop. Uh, Ayara, is that what it's called? That drains. Um, yeah. So there's lots of black pips in that mono black deck. It's already quite, quite, quite aggressive. Um, this, yeah, this, this fits pretty well into there, I think. And um, yeah, but then also it's like you have other shenanigans such as with a bolus of Citadel, you're gaining life back. Um, and also with uh, a Commander Dreadhorde. Like it's, you, know, you can just get, you know, what if you get like multiple Garys back? Commander Dreadhorde. You know, you're, you, if you don't win, you get, you get your life back. You know, it's, it's um, you can just have Commander Dreadhorde, Commander Dreadhorde turn where you just have all back to motion, even though you might go down to one life, but you might just end the game there and then. Yeah, I mean, to get it back with Commander Dreadhorde, of course, it is five mana, so you're going to have to pay the five life. Um, yeah. Just to get one back, yeah. you would only, you would pay five life and then you would gain two life, if, like if that's the only thing that happened. But yes, if if you're saying, like, let's say there are two Grey Merchants and one Ayara in your graveyard, so you pay 13 life to get those back and they come in and each Grey Merchant sees the other one and then they also see Ayara. So that's what, seven? So you would pay 13 and you would get back 14 and drain the opponent for 14 as well. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. Uh, in my head before I did calculations, it was, it was better. But uh, maybe, maybe that's not good enough. I mean, that that's good to me. I mean, it's only three random creatures. Yeah. But then I suppose, yeah, it's back to, you, know, you can't go, so you can't die, obviously, in between uh, asking it and getting it drained. Yeah, I mean, um, it, like, you know, theoretically constructing this deck, right, you've got, like, Knight of the Ebon Legion on one, you could go with something like Yarox Fenlurker, right, that's black, black. Oh, yeah. Ayara, obviously, as we said, is triple black. You've got, um, what's the, I've completely forgotten the name of the, the fairy from Eldraine. The four mana three three flyer. What's he called? Oh my god, uh, Rankle, Rankle, uh, Rankle, Rankle, Rankle. Yeah. So you've got Rankle on four. You know, so it, even if you do something like a two drop or a three drop, like either one of those into Rankle into Gray Merchant, then you're looking at draining for six when you've already attacked, and then you get to attack again that turn. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that seems. Yeah, also kind of you the way these Starboard X you get is your. You're kind of fighting to stabilize. You're trying to, you know, just reach your final dead return. Uh, usually, you've taken, I mean, it's possible you've taken some damage, you know, at this point already. But um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you could just, you could just play that curve you just described and just jump every time, and then uh, just come back and win. Yeah, like <laughs> I think there's there's a number of ways to kind of build a gray merchant focused deck, which is kind of funny when you consider that you're being pushed into mono black nearly. Um, but I think the cards that are available at the moment in Standard and even also in Pioneer for Mono Black we've seen are are, are strong, um, and the, you know there's there's already incentive to play them. So if if you get pushed into a little bit more incentive, then you could be looking at a very good deck. So like you said, you could use you could do a Command the Dreadhorde style where you're focused on the graveyard. You could do uh, Bolas's Citadel where you're focused on you know gaining and losing life or whatever. Uh, or you could just do like a straight up mono black aggro style deck where you know you you may, maybe don't even play a full four gray merchants maybe only play three or something as your absolute curve topper when you've already curved out and been aggressive. Yeah, yeah, and and, and even like it's and I fail to say if it's two four that's gonna yeah take a that's gonna jump at you so it's got a, even even with this big power power effects it is still a creature with a body. Yeah, yeah. Really... Uh, w- about, uh, one card. A little bit with the uh, the graveyard focus version 
is uh, another saga. Uh, Timer calls the dead. You seen this one? Oh yes, yes. So it's um, two and a black for a saga, and the first two steps of the saga are the same. So they say, put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard. Then you may exile a creature or enchantment card from your graveyard. If you do, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. And then step three is you gain X life and scry X, where X is the number of zombies you control. So again, you know, this card is contributing one devotion, and it's putting a lot of cards in the graveyard. Um, And you don't have to exile from the graveyard, so you can keep them there if you want in order to, like, potentially bring them back later with a um, Command the Dreadhorde. Uh, so this can be kind of a graveyard combo card. Or you can just get your zombies and be, like, chumping away. Uh, or you could also just have a number of zombies on the battlefield, and then you end up gaining a lot of life, which obviously helps you cast Command the Dreadhorde as well. Yeah. So every aspect of this fits in very well with... Uh, or... We're looking at, and yeah, maybe just yeah, your two-two zombies uh, just jump until you get to your uh, commander dead or turn. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite well with that. Yeah, like I, I'm into this card. I mean, I'm into this card as more of like a graveyard-style combo card than any kind of zombies aggressive card because the payoff is just making you gain life and scry. You know, you're, you're not doing any damage to the opponent, so. And, you know, gaining life and scrying means that you're setting up for the, the game to go a little bit longer. So this doesn't really strike me as an aggressive card at all. It strikes me as a card that can fill my graveyard, maybe gain me a couple of chump blockers, hopefully get me a little bit of life and scry, so that I can work towards some kind of graveyard-based combo. Yeah, yeah this does seem... Um, yeah, this card seems a lot better when we put it in that context. I guess, yeah, because of the 2-2s, it's easy to compare it to History of Anadia, but... I guess yeah, like you're saying, this yeah, this really isn't a, an aggressive card. Yeah, like yeah, that it it does strike me as similar to History of Benalia, and I think you probably can use it that way as well in some ways. Like if you if you got like an aggressive zombie tribal deck, this is also probably a decent card. Um, but it's not aggressive in the same way. Like you don't get that big damage boost out of the third chapter. Um, you just get your you know you're gaining life and scrying so. As I say, that sets you up to continue the game, not to end at that turn in the way that History of Benalia did. Yeah, yeah. All right, here is a card that has inspired some heated discussion so far. Uh, so we've got Allure of the Unknown. It's a three black-red for a sorcery. That's a rare. And it says, reveal the top six cards of your library. An opponent exiles a non-land card from among them. Then you put the rest into your hand. That opponent may cast the exile card without paying its mana cost. We have some lovely art on this card, and that's about the best thing I can say about it. Yeah, because, I mean, all right. Yeah, so it's, all right, you're, in a, you're, you're basically, you're getting six cards. Out, out of six cards that you're looking at, revealing, um, your bonus will be the best one. So and they get to cast it. this card. Yeah, and I get to cast it for free. So now, not only are they getting a card, they're getting, like, a, a big pile of tempo as well. Um, so I guess, yeah, when I was, so my thought process to seeing this card first was, all right, what if, like, is this a, an effect that's worth playing if you can build a deck that, uh, you know, only, um, that basically you know, has cards that only you can use that aren't good when your opponent uses them. So you're really kind of, you know, drawing five and they're really not getting anything. Uh, I think that's what that is. That kind of deck probably doesn't exist or a deck like that doesn't exist that's also good. But then, I mean, like, what well, if you're like a control deck with no finisher, well, you could just be, let's say if you're just a red-black control deck, with loads of removal and uh, board lives and stuff. Um, 
you know, if your opponent's creature deck is we've got a creature removal spell used against you, but you don't have any creatures, then maybe you're fine, right? Uh, yeah, but like, how are you winning the game with your control deck? I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> I mean, for a red black control deck, probably the you know the classic best way to win the game would be like um, planeswalkers. Yeah, exactly. And and you and like if if they hit if you hit planeswalker obviously, which you probably will, you're going six cards deep is a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If your finisher is a planeswalker and you hit that, you are screwed. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so this is a bad card. The place where this card to me would make the most sense is in some kind of black red aggressive deck where essentially you you would want it in a deck where all your cards are the same and do the same thing in other words be aggressive cheap creatures and wouldn't have that much value to your opponent so like if i have a deck full of one ones two twos and three threes uh like i don't know let's say like a stormfist crusader or um whatever i don't know if like fervent champion stuff like that yeah and I reveal six of those or you know three lands and three of those then my opponent taking the stormfist crusader is not going to set me back very much and i've effectively reloaded a good bit um but even in a deck like that you're going to have stuff like rotting regisaur so if your opponent takes rotting regisaur it's going to be the biggest thing on the battlefield so unless you also have rotting regisaur there and then i mean you already like can't attack through it and stuff like that so i don't know yeah, but I think this kind of aggressive deck kind of wants, um, I guess, wants things apart from just small creatures. I mean, you, you don't want, you know, you want to have you know, very, like, kind of a wide range of threats. Like I was going to say, in its, in its current state, the Black Red Aggressive deck, like I said, has, uh, you know, small, cheap creatures and then Rotting Registrar. Um, as, like, I think I think that's a far more, like, I suppose, kind of Rotting Registrar is a far more powerful, powerful way to leverage off your aggressive game plan, uh, you know, back to your minimizing the same side. Uh, I mean, there's really, there's, there's no, Real conceivable way to minimize the downside of uh, lure of the unknown. Yeah, and then that that's on top of the fact that you know this is a five mana card, a five mana sorcery card. So that's not really ideal. The the that's not where you want to look for your card advantagey go big game plan in that type of deck. You probably want to look more towards like a relatively cheap or mid range planeswalker instead. Like something like you know in past standards, Chandra Torch of Defiance would be where you would look for your you know kind of big go big game plan or glory bringer maybe something that can immediately come in and attack and do damage and kill something on the board whereas this does nothing on the board the turn that you play it uh plus it's it's very expensive so how many of these can you put in your deck and then not only is it expensive to you you're also giving your opponent like at least at least a black lotus probably off it yeah um, I, think I got very excited there when I, when I thought that maybe you can cast them off uh, Ashox minus seven because they're face up in the exile zone, but uh, your opponents have to own them. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right, so other people have, you know, some people have put forward the idea of, you know, because it's part of the resolution of the card that that the opponent uh, that the opponent casts the card that they've taken. So if there is something out that restricts their uh, restricts their casting, then they don't get to do it. So something like if you have to fairy, they're not allowed cast anything unless it's at the time that they could cast a sorcery, so they wouldn't be able to cast the thing off this. Um, but, you know, Teferi is blue-white, so you're talking about a four-color deck already. Um, and then I'm sure there's just other better ways to get card advantage than, than this card in, in that deck. Uh, and then, I mean, just Niv-Mizzet Reborn would probably be better, like, right? Uh, and 
the other thing that could potentially uh, stop them from doing it is fires of invention so they're not allowed to cast spells when it's not their turn if they have a fires of invention but then you have to rely on the opponent having a specific card so you know it could be a sideboard card against them in that case i don't know yeah maybe, maybe it is just like, maybe that's that's where it exists it's a if fires of invention becomes very you know prominent deck uh you know if, if they have fires of invention they're about to take over the game uh, you cast this and what's gonna happen you draw five cards i mean no downside <laughs> is that enough they still get to take the best one from it yeah they take it yeah yeah so i mean yeah even 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 like in, in the constructed even when we construct a perfect scenario for it uh i mean it's still draw five cards yeah i'm i'm off it big time off it yeah, yeah fortunately all right, well, here's a card that I'm not off. In fact, I am on this card. It's uh, Gallia of the Endless Dance. It's a uh, red-green for a legendary creature, Satyr. It's a 2-2. Has haste. Other satyrs you control get plus one, plus one, and have haste. And whenever you attack with three or more creatures, just creatures, not satyrs, you may discard a card at random. If you do, draw two cards. So, obviously, Great. The, last one, the last ability there is a bit, ooh, it's a bit dodge, because you might discard something you like. But drawing two cards is pretty insane. Um, and then other satyrs get plus one, plus one in haste. It's pretty, pretty good. I assume we're going to get some more satyrs in this. But like, even if we look at Pioneer, you have stuff like Eidolon of the Great Revel. Um, what, is, that, is that a spirit? Is that a satyr? Yeah, pretty sure. No, hang on. That, I mean, I know flavor-wise it's like the Great Revel and all. Uh, is that a satyr spirit? Oh, are you going to get owned? Or am I going to be... It's a spirit! Get wrecked! Ah, uh, damn it. Um, I'm, I'm doing a scribe all search now, sorry. Of, of, uh, of okay, I've, fu- I've fundamentally misunderstood the art for this card, that's what it is. Because there's, no. there's a load of satyrs in the foreground of the card, but the creature that the card is depicting is actually the bonfire. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, um, there we go. Yeah, it's, it's kind of has his arms up. Yeah. There we go, so we now uh, we, we know what's happening <laughs> in the art for um, uh, for Ivan Great Rebel. Yeah, mystery. Yeah, that that would be sick. Given <laughs> to that, he's that would be sick. Yeah, all right. You have an advanced. Oh, okay. There's a lot of satyrs. So this is in all. Wait, I'll go back. Sorry, this I've done. I've, okay. Big Egypt. I've checked in all magic, but um, uh, you do some talking while I break pioneer with um, <laughs> with Gallia of the Great Devil. Okay. No, sorry. What's it called Gallia of the Devil? All right. There's a lot of them. There's a lot. The the one that I can think of um, from Pioneer that I already have my playset of. By the way is a fire drinker satyr which is a it's a it's a jackal pup so it's red for a 2-1 it was a rare from Teros, i believe and oh, yes what does it do it, it whenever it takes damage it deals that much damage to you it's like yeah so bad. but also has it has fire breed or has a you know one in a red gets plus one plus zero and then it deals one to you yeah 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 it, um, um it was definitely it was used in the mono red decks of that day that's that's why i have it because I, you know, when I started playing, everyone's like, "Oh, you should play Mono Red because it's the easy deck to get into." So I bought it for that reason, you know. Yeah, that'd be pretty good because I guess it's yeah. If you're if you're in a Mono Red deck that's that aggressive, I mean, you you just play one mana two one like yeah like you know, like Jackalope Ozzy. You're just playing it no matter what the text is. Uh, remember, there's like that vampire people were playing that had text that no one really used from uh, Shadows over the stretch. Mm, no, I think I had madness or something. But anyway, <laughs> it was. Well, red, uh, you know, red for a two-one, um, it's fine. Oh, uh, Falcon Order, the one that gave your yeah, yeah. madness. 
Other vampires bandits, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Really what we're looking for here is one and, and three drop satyrs. There's a boon satyr. Is this... Uh, yeah, there is four mana, right? Uh, no. No, it's three. It's three. Uh, one, one, green, green. Sorry, it's bestow is five. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so, so you, you just cast it as a four, two for three mana. Okay. Flash. Yeah, that, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's quite good with it. So, yeah. Like a, a five, three haste on turn three is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the other satyrs aren't great. Not gonna lie. <laughs> there's lots of lots of one ones. Um, it's what satyr hoplite. Well, there's what satyr hoplite. It's supposed to be this one. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You know the heroic satyr. One mana one one with heroic. Yes. Yeah. One's good. Yeah. Or at least okay. What's the one? It's like uh, Nick's born rollicker. Is that one? Uh, yes. Yeah, that is a uh, bestow. Yeah, so it's a one mana. The one mana one one David. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, as, as a, so one of the red from so okay. I'm trying to fish you guys, plus almost one. Yeah, that's not great. Seder <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fire Dancer is a rare. All right, that has to be good. The one mana, two mana for a one one. One of the red for a one one. Uh, Chapman creature Seder when every instant or sorcery spell control deals damage to an opponent. Seder uh, Fire Dancer deals that much damage to target creature player controls. Hmm, that's okay. Give it, give it haste. Does it get better? Maybe more of a cyborg card, maybe, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think we're we're depending on this tarot set to do a lot for the for the Seder tribe. Yeah, that's true, definitely. But you know, th- this card is certainly a good sign for that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think the durability. I mean, it's yeah, you're discarding a card a random. I mean, it's card advantage. What if uh, what if you're very aggressive? You're playing lots of jackal hoops and uh, you don't have any cards in your hand. No, you can't do that. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, it's not that remember. Yeah, this is a card that benefits from all your cards being the same, right? Yes, yeah, so yeah, so you, you can't really have a, a complicated strategy or a lot of complicated line for two turns now because you might have that card. Yeah, is it a May ability? No, it's a yeah. Sorry, it is a May. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. That's makes better. Yeah, that's. But we have to discard the card to draw the cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still though, that that seems that seems good. Will we do maybe another five or six, or yeah, I suppose we could, we could um, yeah, just put, put a cap on it. Um, yeah, there's there's more coming in even now. Uh, yeah, they're constantly rolling in here. Um, maybe we can do kind of a turn by turn here thing. Maybe you you choose one that you like. I'll choose one that I like. Uh, we'll just yeah. mention the this is. I mean, this was very well expected already. But all the temples or the the, the rest yeah. of the temples are are in the set. So the uh, the allied color temples are are coming back. Yeah. So um, apart from that, what do you like? Well, a card that I a card that I saw today, which made me say "Whoa!" was "Whoa Strider." Uh, this is two and a black for a three-two creature horror. It says, "When Rose Strider enters battlefield, create a zero-one white goat creature token." Is that why I said "Whoa"? It is not. The reason why I said "Whoa" was because the next line of text says. Sacrifice another creature. Scry one. So we have a free sack outlet in standard. That costs three mana. But there's even more text. It says escape. Three black black. XL four the cards for your graveyard. And escape. That's what escape does. And then uh, when it escapes, it escapes with two plus one plus one counters on it. So it becomes a five four uh, if you escape it. And um, that doesn't matter because you just have you know a free sack outlet. So we already have done sacrifice, which... I guess it does repay all that many creatures, but I mean, if a, free, a sacrifice outlet is something that kind of archetype would use, 
uh, this might kind of skew the archetype into something more uh, kind of creature focused, like the black red versions. Uh, but there's just so much this card can do because I feel like there's been so many of the last few of the last few um, sporting seasons we've been saying to ourselves, "Oh, this card will be really good if there was a free sack out of it," and then we kind of assumed there never will be a free sack out of it because it would make all of these other features uh, so much better, all those other cards so much better. But uh, yeah, now we have one, and it even enters battlefield and makes uh, a small creature to sacrifice to it straight away. Uh, this is great. Yeah, like this, this is pretty crazy. Um, as you say, drone sacrifice. Uh, this coming along with with a free sack out, or not a free sack out, like like fodder to sack to itself is pretty fantastic. Getting the scry one is great. Um, another option in pioneer for decks that need this is also great, and like the fact that this can escape as well means that you can use cards like um oh i can't remember the name of the card but it's the, you know it's the one one zombie that puts top three cards of your library in your graveyard and then does it again when it dies uh yes citrus citrus fire which i believe is not a zombie it is a zombie. So if you prove you're wrong it is, uh, david this could, be, this could be the second time uh you get this wrong today Future vibes um uh citrus supplier is a yeah, never mind. Anyway, sorry, what you're saying? What, what was I saying about? Yes, it goes with that one one card. Yeah, that uh, is a zombie. Never mind. Yeah, so. <laughs> um... Well, he didn't know I'd done a great rebel to <laughs> Listen, broken clock is right twice a day. Um, so, yeah, like, it, you know, one of the things in those decks was, like, if you mill over your, your sack outlet, that can be bad. Of course, those type of decks use stuff like. Um, Rally the ancestors and stuff like that. Uh, this, of course, still works with those things. You know, it's it's still three mana, like Nantuka Husk. Uh, it's the same same mana cost. Um, so it, you know, it, it works in in that creature's place as well. And then you get to scry as well. You get to stack a lot of scry ones. Um, and yeah, just just the ability that even when you have accidentally milled it over and you need it on the board, you can always use the escape ability um to 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 get it back onto the board for uh for those things that you need it for for your free sack outlet ability and uh, again it also comes with the goat when it escapes as well right yeah yeah just etbs yeah it's um yeah and it's huge <laughs> when it escapes the five four attacks through everything yeah well attacks yeah it, it attacks um it's great it's very big when it escapes all right um yeah that that card seems great it seems like a, a key role player in, in plenty of decks i mean even just as a value card it's quite good right like if you if you play that and then the opponent attacks with something and you chump block with the goat and then sack the goat before damage you know you've gotten basically a free scry there and saved yourself a lot of health yeah exactly yeah it, it kind of yeah it really kind of plays it plays well with the strategy of kind of setting up a bigger turn like 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 a turn or something yeah um i'm, I'm just going to pivot this into a sick play i made uh, standard in the shop. Oh. Uh, this will be random, don't worry. Uh, so I was playing Jump Sacrifice, I had two ovens out, well, obviously two ovens, you're, you're doing it, and I had uh, two cats, so I was like, yeah, this is it, the game's over, I have it. Then my opponent played um, uh, oh, Charlotte Source of Glass, and then named Oven. So I'm like, alright, this is pretty bad now. But then, because, but I also had, but the, the game kind of went on a lot, a lot longer, I ended up with two gooses, and then like, it was just, you know, we were top decking, we were, we were just top decking out of mana, I had uh, two gooses. So I was making food every turn, and then because it, but it's because I got sacrificed to the cats to put the audio on. I was making food from the, from the gooses and then uh, for the geese and uh, the geese rather. 
And uh, I was just attacked with cats every turn. So when I attacked the cats, you know, they couldn't block because of the block of the back. So it's almost like the cats were unblockable. Um, so I guess where I'm going with this is like sometimes there's, there's plenty of positions where they don't attack by a set just once to attack out, outlet. So if you have if you have a goose to play and you have a cat in the graveyard, uh, you can you can loop it every turn without another uh, using wall strider by yeah, making the food, bringing the cat back, sucking the cat, making the food with the, with the goose, and bringing the cat back, sucking the cat then with, with wall strider. So it's it, 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 it just gives us that deck or that archetype so, so many more dimensions in so many different ways to attack. Um, and what's more important is that I won that match when uh, my opponent uh, got me with two cat ovens with one versus uh, glass. All right. Yes. Um, yeah. The diversifying options and making the opponent have a harder time with what they name on Sorcerer Spyglass definitely has value. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll pick out a card that I like here. Um, there, there's no English name for this card yet. Uh, I think it's translated as maybe Storm of Wrath or Wrath Storm. Or I'm not sure what it is. Uh, so it's it's two red red for a uh, a sorcery. It's in Chinese here. But uh, it deals four damage to each creature on each planeswalker. So this is big news. Stop the presses. Red has a four mana, four damage sweeper. This is Red Languish. This card is very important in Standard and in Pioneer. This is great. Yeah, and, and hitting planeswalkers as well. It's like usually, um, yeah, usually, you know, the way mid range deck fights against a deck of four ripes is by a diverse, by, by, you know, diverse flight as a threat. You know, take out some creatures, put in some planeswalkers. So you're not so soft to uh, war wipes. This was gets them all. It's a uh, later cleansing. Well, not something. It's not very cleansing, but uh, it's it's very good. Yeah, it's definitely very good. I mean, four damage to a planeswalker, unfortunately, actually doesn't kill lots of planeswalkers uh, nowadays. But it, I mean, it does kind of sweep up anything that's left over on a low loyalty. Things like the fairy or Narset. You know, these these war the spark planeswalkers that um, can. That they you know they minus and then they're left on like a low loyalty just sitting around being annoying with their passive abilities so it does kind of mop up a lot of those uh, but again there are a lot of planeswalkers that plus immediately in in and get out of range of this so again like teferi even on three can plus up to five but if they do that and then you use this uh i mean you've still brought it down to one and made it much much less effective because it doesn't get to draw a card then for many turns this also kills all of Nissa's lands. Um, maybe kills Nissa. Probably not if she's plussed. Yeah, but I guess uh, yeah. I mean, I've been so usually you can on the lands is going to cripple uh, Nissa enough that uh, yeah, those those Nissa players um, will struggle to come back if you uh, yeah take if you take everything before or if you do four damage everything on their board. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I guess yeah, I'm, it is yeah. is great, and I mean. Even in like Pioneer, probably like Anger of the Gods and Sweltering Suns still have their place. Anger of the Gods, of course, exiling being cheaper, uh, Swelter of Sweltering Suns being able to uh, to cycle certainly have their place. But this is a big, big tool for red controlling decks or even big mid rangey red decks out of the sideboard. You know, this could be an option for them to fight against aggressive decks. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. And. Um... Yeah, that's another kind of angle. Angle of the um, Yeah, this is this is huge. <laughs> it's, I, I kind of, I, I always kind of, you know, when you when you call it a red language, that really just puts into perspective how yeah, insane this. Yeah, I mean, we have we had our devastation already, right? Um, and that was played a little bit in standard. Um, 
and again it's still a bit relevant in pioneer but i i think this card kind of takes error devastation's place a little bit of course error devastation takes away indestructible so that's quite good still but uh yeah this this card being the one mana cheaper certainly uh eats most of our devastation's lunch there yeah yeah that'd be... all right do you have another card that you like oh do i um the i have oh uh, ox of agonas agonas yeah Agus. all right this is a uh, three red red for feature ox uh it's a four two uh when it etbs it's card in your hand draw three cards it's better than red reveler right that's 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 not great but it's escape is a red red Exile eight other cards from your graveyard. So eight is a lot, uh, but red red is not a lot. And uh, Ox of Agonas escapes with a one-one counter on it. So uh, two mana five tree draws three cards. Yeah. So if you can cast this from your graveyard, it's it's really really good, right? Um, if you just cast it straight up, not so great. Um, so to me, this works well in like a discard heavy deck, obviously. Um, you want to be able to discard this from your hand so that when you cast it, you're paying the escape cost rather than paying the, the upfront cost. Um, but then you also have to have a lot of other stuff that's kind of sitting around in the graveyard. It's it's kind of delvish. It's kind of delvy because you want to use the escape cost mostly. So when you think about the cost of it, it it's actually, you know, it's kind of like red, red, eight, and the eight has delved. Oh. Yeah, it seems to be actually. Yeah, I think I think yeah, you definitely when you put this in your deck, you will be planning on just like milling very aggressively and uh, yeah, just just getting that that um, that escape. Uh, then I guess yeah, like usually you could. You know, I, I don't know how many cards there are, and, and well, yeah, say something like um, oh, well, it's a very terrible example. Let's say something like Murfolk Secret Keeper. Now, I'm not saying the latest Murfolk Secret Keeper, but I'm saying you could you could happily spend uh, a card uh, to mill yourself, uh, knowing you will. You know, get card advantage back. I mean, it's like if you, you know, you you, you could be you could be yeah, you could be spending cards to move yourself. Uh, you don't necessarily need to replace them straight away because you will be replacing your hand once you cast this from your graveyard. Yes, yes. Then is that enough? I wanted to have haste, but it doesn't. Yeah, I think haste would make maybe too good, but it it yeah. still low toughness, right? Um, it it also works reasonably well with other copies of itself because. You know, you discard your hand, so you discard all the other copies that are in your hand, put them in the graveyard where you want them. Yeah, so then you're discarding more fuel to do it. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of, like, when it comes to something like Merfolk's Secret Keeper, I don't love that, because I would rather be using, like, instants and sorceries that help you either mill yourself or discard and then go to the graveyard themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's an extra, that's an extra one mana for this guy, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe in the is it deck? God, I guess. But just just a point towards how stupid cracking Drake's design is. The fact that you can exile cards and not in fact decide your cracking Drake. Yeah, like this could reinvigorate the Phoenix deck maybe because it's the same stuff that you want to do for your Phoenixes, kind of. And as you say, yeah. Drake benefits from the exiled cards uh, as well. So yeah, yeah, that, that's where just where that's where it goes first. Um, and we do have a thrill of possibility now as well, which hasn't had a chance to shine in standard. Oh, yes. Uh, we also have a card that I'd like to talk about, which I think would be probably good in this archetype, is uh, Thirst for Meaning. So it's uh, basically Thirst for Knowledge, but enchantments. But for people who don't know what that is, it's a uh, tuna blue for an instant, and it says draw three cards. 
then discard two cards unless you discard an enchantment card. So if you build your deck in such a way that it has lots of enchantments, then this is fantastic because it's uh, three mana, draw three, discard one, which is good card advantage. If you don't build it in that way, but you build it in such a way that the graveyard is an important resource for you, such as an Ox of Agonis deck or an Arclight Phoenix deck, then the downside is kind of no longer a downside and you're actually putting... You're paying three mana to to do card selection, right? And then you also get to put stuff in the graveyard. So you can put your Ox in the graveyard and then you can put some fuel for the Ox, uh, including this card itself. And it's an instant as well. Yeah, this, this is great. Yeah, I think your point you described very well. How yeah, it kind of goes into two, you know, it goes into two entirely separate decks for two entirely separate reasons, but works very well in both of those situations. Yeah, it's it's definitely like a, a key role player in standard. Yeah, yes, and I guess like even if you're not really in like an enchantment deck, um, yeah, you, you might just happen to have a creature that's also or you could happen to have you know, like you know you're playing some kind of enchantment creature for value. Uh, you might be in a situation where you realize, oh, I'll just discard this creature um, instead of discarding two. If you're in the um, the kind of the Phoenix style deck, you, know, you might have started to be hit enchantment, and then uh, then you're getting card advantage. Of yeah, you can just use it. Read. All right. Do you have another one that you'd like to talk about? Um, I do. Yes, we got a uh, Erebos, Blackhearted. It's uh, three to black for legendary enchantment creature. God, uh, it's indestructible. Five six. Uh, as long as devotion is to black is less than five, it's is a new creature. Uh, whenever another creature you control dies, you may pay two life if you do draw a card. It's, 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 um, it goes pretty well with Woe. Woe's Trider. Well, maybe it does. Yeah, I guess it does. Um, it also has... Uh, oh my god, I cannot see this. I think it's one and a black. Um, I will confirm. Uh, it is, yeah. One of black sacrifice under creature. Target creature gets minus two, minus one until end of turn. Uh, so you can, you can just control the board just with, with the slot itself. All by itself. Great. Yeah. So... What there was a card that was like this in standard, right? There was a there was a big demon that could that could do this similar ability. Was it Razaket? Oh yes. Oh, it wasn't Razaket. Razaket was a shooter one, right? But there was another one. It was Demon Something of, of Agonies. Was that D- Demon of Darks games? Oh, Demon, Demon of Darks games did that. Yeah, that was the energy one. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, you know, a repeatable kill a small creature on your enchantment is very good um, for. I mean, it would be very good for any deck, but you have to sacrifice one of your own creatures in order to do it. Um, again, it's a sack outlet. This one costs mana. Mm, I'm not sure how good this card is. Yeah, I guess it kind of it does pale in comparison to uh, uh, Wolf Strider. Yeah, we talk about kind of sacrifice creatures again, value that way. Yeah, uh, I think this is. I mean, it's comparable to Bantu from Amaket, which like did really obviously did what that didn't do anything at all. Yeah, but yeah, well, well, I wish you picked a better card for my last card to talk about. <laughs> the the two the pay two life whenever a creature you control dies, uh, and then draw a card is certainly good. Like that reminds me of uh, what was the card? Pay two life, draw a card on the on the enchantment uh, from Ixalan. Oh, um, oh, God, I was called Arguel's Bloodfast. Yeah, Arguel's Bloodfast. Yeah. So obviously there's there's more cost to pay here. You have to sacrifice a creature. Um, so maybe you're looking at some kind of a, a token style deck or something like that. But you know that that ability can be very powerful. Uh, and then you know at the same time you're you're killing creatures on the on the opposite side. Um, so you know this card can be good, but I think it's not raw power. 
Um, I think it's situationally powerful, depending on can you build a deck around it and does the ability do something to the other, you know, the opponent's side, and also can you mitigate that life loss as well from from paying two life to draw cards? Yeah, I think it's, you kind of want something like this to also gain life on another through another way. You know, if I had lightning or something, uh, just, just thinking of uh, of what's his face, uh, Crystal Brand. Um, this card is not as good as Crystal Brand, Yeah, if it had lifelink itself, I think that would be pretty good, especially because you know you, you can't turn it on as a creature probably until a bit later, so it, it would make sense to have lifelink. Um, but yeah, not quite, not quite there. I tell you though, a card that does have lifelink, the the spoilers are are rolling in hot and heavy here. Uh, we've got. Kunoros, Hound of Atreos. Have you seen this card? Well, I just did. Um, I lost the tabs open. <laughs> but I had, a second, I had a second ago. Oh, it's got three heads. So Each head more identical to the last. We, we've got a, a Cerberus. Cer, 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 Cerberus? Cerberus type here. Cerberus. Yes. Uh, so this, this card strikes me as very good. So it's a one white black for a legendary creature Hound. And it has Vigilance, Menace, and Lifelink. Those are some, some good good abilities. Uh, it's a 3-3. Three, three. Creature cards in graveyards can't enter the battlefield. And players can't cast spells from graveyards. So that uh, neatly uh, deals with the escape mechanic. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I could say and there's an interesting whole lot of other, other stuff that's at the moment as well. Yeah, um, Jumpstart. Got like a jumpstart, yeah. Jumpstart, that's uh, Jun Sacrifice Castle. Um, yeah, this is this is great. A great, uh, it's just a, you know, I guess it'd be a great cyborg card that also just has this has a very good rate. Three mana, three three, lots of abilities. Yeah, Vig- vigilance, menace, lifelink is is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it, it becomes you kind of say, oh, vigilance is a free attack every turn. Like, vigilance, menace is like definitely a free attack every turn. Then lifelink is just the gravy on top. Yeah, oh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, so the, I mean. White black is not exactly a color combination that's that's um, heavily played at the moment. Um, yeah. What what kills this? I guess um, Oath of Kaya, which is also in white black, kills this uh, easily. So I don't know. This is a I, this is a card that is is really good and definitely I think should see play in standard because it it deals with a lot of problematic abilities. Um, the fact that it's legendary is a big downside. Because this is the type of card that you want to play four of, uh, just so you can play it on curve. But the deck that this is played in, I think, doesn't really exist at the moment, which is weird. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely not like a like if we're talking about having this as a, as a you know, main deck card that also just has this hosing, you know, as gravy. Um, yeah, there's really not. There's not a black white mid range deck or a mid range deck to, or a creature deck with these colors. Yeah, I mean, you could go back towards something like Esper Hero. Yeah, if if. If you imagine this card back when Esper Hero was 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 um, dominating, uh, yeah, it, it seems pretty good then. It stops Phoenix, stops uh, a lot of stuff in Phoenix. Um, yeah, well, I think it's, yeah, it does really have a place right now. Certainly a card I, w- I would look to be playing if people are doing lots of graveyard shenanigans. Yes, yes. All right, do you want to pick one more card and then that'll kind of round us off for today, and then we'll we'll come back to it next time. Uh, yeah, I guess um, to round it up, I I did promise I slander Kieran. Um, you know what card Kieran top playable? What? Aetheros, the buy a box promo. I don't know, that card looks okay. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm very anti this card. Are you? Yeah. 
four. Well, Andy, I, I, I just don't see it at all. Uh, four black white. Maybe, maybe your listeners will disagree with me. Uh, four black white for uh, legendary champion feature god insertable before seven. Uh, as long as your devotion to white and black is less than seven, it's not a creature. We can either end set, put a coin counter on another target creature. Whenever a creature with a coin counter on it dies or is put into exile, return that card to the battlefield under your control. No, it's just very, very slow. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about six mana here, and then and then you have to wait until your end step to put a coin counter. Um, Which is a creature, yeah. Yeah. It's a cool card, but... I mean, I, I could see it in like some kind of control deck um, where you basically never turn it on. It never becomes a creature itself, um, and it's just an enchantment. And then you just use it to, like, you put a coin counter on your opponent's creature, and next turn you just, like, rat, and you get their their creature back. Uh, but, I mean, then if they kill that creature, it doesn't come back again. Oh, no, it can, it can, if you put another coin counter. Yeah, that'll work, yeah. But, um... again, that's super slow, and, I mean, it's similar to... Uh, What's the card? What's the the black white enchantment from like Ravnica Allegiance or whatever? That's a ethereal absolution. Yeah, that one. So like you're killing. If you kill your opponent's creatures, you can then steal them from the you know quote unquote steal them from the graveyard, pay four mana to make them into a spirit. Um, like it's a similar idea. Obviously, you're only getting one one flyer in that deal, and you have to pay four mana for it. Whereas this, you don't pay anything, and you get the original creature. So it can be much better. But uh, I think you have more agency over the ethereal absolution and it is also it also gives um all their creatures minus one minus one so that you know that can kill some of their creatures as well so uh i would probably compare it to that and you know we haven't seen that card see much play in standard so i'm thinking probably pretty similar with this one yeah yeah that's a yeah that's a very fast and I, I guess kind of what well, ethereal absolution has going for it it does randomly um like you know the the jund decks or of what were people playing against I feel like I was playing that card. Yeah, I was playing that in the Grixis deck with um, Fires and Benton. Um, it was good in some matchup. Something you said, right? It was uh, yeah. Oh, is this for the Sultai Mirror? Was it? Yeah, it was when like Sultai was big, um, or even against Jun Sacrifice, like meant that the cats don't stay on the battlefield, and obviously you can ex- exile the fr- exile them from the graveyard. Um, but then people started playing lots of Casualties of War and <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> That. <laughs> well. Yeah. Well, I mean, Aetheros doesn't get hit by casualties of war, so maybe this is something. Maybe. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. That's true. Because we, we've seen casualties of war being like a four of in uh in the Jundex end. What? Wait, what's a four of casualties? Yeah, casualties of war. Yeah, casualties of war. I think it's gone down a little bit since then. Um, okay. But yeah, maybe that was it. Is that could have been the uh, the MC um, meta? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's certainly still heavily played, right? Um, yeah. I I think we just have to hope that this creature is not good because it's the buy box promo again. So <laughs> forget that would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Let's never talk about this card again. Yes. Hopefully, we won't have to. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Well, I think that's gonna do it for us this week, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um. Yeah. There's just the spoilers are applied again. Yeah. Uh, not much happened in the way of magic news. Uh, I haven't been playing magic over Christmas. Been uh, spending time at Ancient Empires. Nice, nice. And we get some more satyrs. <laughs> Hopefully. Satyr, wait, satyr, wait, satyr, wait, finder. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So before we go, a few a few bits to talk about. Uh, first of all, I'll just mention inkgaming.com again. 
So you can go to our uh, affiliate URL with them. You can go to inkedgaming.com forward slash skullcrack. So S-K-U-L-L-C-R-A-I-C, just like the name of the show. And you will get 10% off your order. So anything you order there, custom play mats, gaming accessories, even board games over there, you'll get 10% off your order. So thank you to them. And we do have a few emails that I have not, they have, I've neglected to read out from our, our constant listener, uh, Namata, GG. Uh, they have emailed us several times over the past few weeks, and I have been remiss. So just over the Christmas season, you know, things slip through the cracks. Um, so let me read a few of these. Uh, first one was way back on November 27th. Apologies. Uh, so this was Namada talking to us about the mulligan rule. So this is when we were we were not liking standard, or me certainly anyway. I wasn't liking standard so much. So Namada says, "Hey guys, I'm surprised you haven't been liking standard. I actually have been quite enjoying playing Boros Knights made platinum for the first time. Good job. I like it when standard is much more open to brewing versus a clearly defined meta. Let me know if you're interested. I can send you the list when I get home. Uh, yeah, send us the list. I would love to see it. Uh, yes, I agree with you guys about the mulligan rule as well." I haven't really noticed it as I rarely mulligan, but it really takes away from the bad feeling when you ship a zero or one lander. Okay, that's certainly certainly a positive of the mulligan rule. Um, do, 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 do. So this was in reference to uh, Zvi Moshowitz's uh, discussion of the mulligan rule and how he doesn't like it. Um, and so Nomada says, it looks at the article you talked about, and honestly, I find it very unconvincing and contradictory. For example, the London Mole makes both glass cannon and cyborg cards too strong when the latter is the best check to the former. The London Mole somehow makes players more likely to mull into oblivion? Question mark, question mark. I think the perceived sameness of the current standard you were referring to coming from the London Mulligan is very subjective, which means that it is much more likely to be a result of rosy retrospection, the recency effect, and confirmation bias. Anyway, just my new thoughts. Keep up the great podcast. Yeah, so, yeah, certainly I can understand those arguments. I, I do know, I do understand the, the danger of um, confirmation bias and only remembering your recent results and, and, and things that stuck out that happened to you. Um, but honestly, I, I think, I mean, I haven't been playing a lot over the last few weeks, but, uh, I, I, I still do think that, um, a lot of, a lot of games in standard go the same way nowadays and it's annoying me. Yeah, exactly. I, I think kind of the, the, you know, I guess the money to oblivion kind of comes to like, sometimes you, sometimes it, it's more so when you're happy to mulligan like five times and then you end up with a cart with a, with a hand. You're like, yeah, it's fine. I'll just keep these. Well, I'm, I'll do I'm thinking of Tron. Uh, you know, the, the amount of mulliganing you do there. Uh, it's like, yeah, this, this, this game just feels silly when you just keep on hitting that mulligan button until you have your three Tron pieces. And you're like, yeah, I'll just play off the top of my deck now. doesn't matter what else happens. Yeah, uh, like I'm way more likely to mulligan to six now than I ever was before. And I'm also significantly more likely to mulligan to five and then also be reasonably uh, like if i mulligan to five and i keep a five that i consider good that my deck is functional i'm like okay i actually have a good chance to win which is you know that's a positive outcome of the london mulligan but it does mean that i am looking for a very specific makeup of hand and if i don't get that in those first two mulligans you know then i i you know i will mulligan further and i will continue to mulligan uh, I feel like I've mulliganed past five more times since the London mulligan has come in than all the rest of the times I've ever done it together. Yeah, that's how we feel that as well. And like, and you're no longer. Um, it used to be when you mulligan to four, you just kind of accept, yeah, this game's over. We're just going through the motions. 
but like you kind of you still play it out. You're like, all right, here here's a, a hand that I can function on. Uh, if they have a slow start, maybe I can win. Yeah, maybe do. So uh, yeah, it's definitely um, yeah a lot more a lot more mulliganing going on. Yeah, now than it was before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just want the mulligan for a specific type of hand, right? You're just looking for I don't know, like no matter what deck it is, you're just looking for this very specific hand. And I just think that that can't be good. Even though when you get it, then you're like super likely to win the game or at least have a competitive game. Uh, and that obviously is, is better than having a non-game. I Again, I think it contributes to the, to the sameness of and the games feel very similar. Yeah, yeah. Especially like when, like I suppose at any times, V wrote that article, was, uh, you know, when, when Oko and Killer Goose, you know, so those kind of decks were dominating, uh, you know, around the time uh, uh, of um, uh, GP Leon. And I was like, yeah, sometimes you're just like, I don't care what's in my hand as long as I have this for turn one or an Oko turn two or an Oko turn three. You know, the game will, will, will sort itself out. Yeah. <laughs> when, you're, when you're just going for those uh, kind of, yeah, those, those centerpiece cards of your deck uh, and just trying to see them in your opening hand, like uh, the game, the game becomes racing. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it has improved a bit with the banning of, of Once Upon a Time. But even even if you look at the way that the the Jeskai Cavaliers deck has evolved to have um what's it called Sphinx of Foresight so that you have a strong chance to get this Mulligan uh or not Mulligan to to get this Scry three effect that like essentially massively increases your your chances of having Fires of Invention on time every game because if you don't have Fires of Invention on time every game your deck just functions awfully. And if you do have it, you're so likely to win. Yes, yeah, that's 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 gotta say, yeah. But um, this is, this thing's now taking the place of uh of um uh, what's one time in a deck that does not have green. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, we had another email from Namada Namada GG. Then another a week later, and uh, this one is titled Dave's Voice, and is a quite a nice little compliment to me, I think. So it says the best part. This is when this is the episode I think that you missed, Al. And I can't remember, we were talking about my voice. It was Dave telling me that I should be a nighttime radio DJ. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I listened to the episode back to make sure I wasn't me. And uh, yeah, I remember him saying this. So uh, yeah, Namada says, best part of Dave's voice, I mean this in the friendliest way, is the progression of the replacement of TH with T to just using D for everything. Basically, a complete disregard for the letter T. Uh, this correct. Uh, Irish people have no time for the combination of letters TH or the letter T, and we will just yep. replace it with the letter D at any given opportunity. Yeah, Daryl's beyond dead. Yeah, exactly. Turkey tree. Um, and then we had one more. This was a recent one now. So, Nomada says, uh, subject line here is literally. Uh, just sharing this with you guys because I know one of you has an English degree. I do also actually, uh, I do also actually, so I like this stuff. Uh, in the definition for the word, in the definition for the word literally, I think this is supposed to say in the dictionary, the definition for the word literally, as used to put emphasis on a metaphor hyperbole, the Oxford English Dictionary includes a footnote. Now one of the most common uses, although often considered irregular in standard English, since it reverses the original sense of literally, not figuratively or metaphorically. They also have this as one of the notable usage samples, 2008, Herald Times, Oh my god, I literally died when I found out. No, you figuratively died. Otherwise, you would not be around to relay your pointless anecdote. Basically, the Oxford English Dictionary is just straight up trolling people who use literally with the reverse meaning. Anyway, just thought you might find that interesting. Don't even get me started on the plural of octopus. Alan, do you know what the plural of octopus is? Uh, I think, now, there is... 
I, I, I do know that. At one point in my life, I knew all the background of this. Um, people say, uh, uh, Jesus, what did they say? Uh, octopi is like Greek in origin, but it's octopus is actually Latin, so octopus is, is correct. But uh, my favorite word is octopodes. Octopodes. Octopodes uh, is always correct. Um, so octopodes. 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 I think it's pronounced octopodes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I am one of these people who I, I read more, so I always pronounce words wrong. Yeah. Um, but then I do have a nice little recurring joke that whenever anybody talks about the plural of any word, uh, I always, someone's like, oh, is it? Um, oh, God. I mean, it happens in magic. We could talk about kind of, uh, actually, I can't think of any examples right now. Uh, someone says, oh, what's it? is it sphinx or sphinxes or sphinx, sphinges? Uh, I say, oh, I think the correct term is actually October days. <laughs> so yeah, I get what he looks. People are asking for it. You're going to say octopodes or octopodes. Octopodes. It should be oct- octopodes is what the joke should be. Yeah. Well, I kind of I kind of like octopodes. It sounds good. <laughs> it sounds like a, a professor or something. Yeah. It does. It does. Or, or, or a philosopher. Yeah, it sounds like a Greek philosopher. I like it. All right. Well, that uh, that cleans up our emails. Thank you for the emails, uh, Namata. And we do. We are still running our uh, little competition that we started uh, on the last episode in order to win a bunch of uh, Japanese cards from Standard that I brought back from my travels. Um, so you can win a bunch of cards. The notable ones. So there was, a, you know, several packs, but the notable ones were a Japanese Fires of Invention, a Japanese uh, Temple of Silence, a Japanese. What was the one that you opened, Al? Simic Ascendant. <laughs> So if you want a Japanese Simic Ascendancy, you know what to do. You can email us at skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com. And if you email us in with like a uh, some kind of a pun or a joke on the theme of magic and Christmas mashup. And seeing as we've kind of progressed past Christmas now, you can also include New Year's if you want. I don't know. Any kind of uh, magic themed joke or song or pun or mashup. Uh, with Christmas or New Year's, uh, we'll have a read through those, and we'll pick our favorite one, and we'll we'll send uh, we'll send those cards out to that person. I also have a, a nice Channel Fireball deck box that I can stick them in for you. Uh, so get on it, send us those emails at schoolcrackpodcast at gmail.com. or even if you want to tweet us, you can tweet us at schoolcrack on Twitter. We would love to uh, to hear your competition entries that way as well, um, and you can also tune in to the Twitch stream. So uh, Kieran streams on Twitch pretty regularly, especially now over the holidays as he's uh, you know off work. So twitch.tv forward slash Skullcrack. So tune in there if you're interested in, in some uh, holiday draft, holiday cube draft. And uh, yeah, that is going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, 2019 is almost over. Uh, we've had some, we've had some good magic cards. We also had some bad magic cards. So uh, they will found our top three best and worst magic cards of 2019.
Uh, are you are you ready? Do you have a list before you written down? I do. In the paper, I in your in your head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess would you like to start off with the the worst or the best? Um. Hmm. I'm not sure. That's a tough one, actually, to be honest. Because no, I I think we should start off with the worst because those those are going to be the the most predictable. Um. We might have a bit of overlap on them. <laughs> Cause, yes, I think that's, that's a good point. Yeah, 2019 was, uh, I would say, not Magic's strongest year in terms of uh, mistake-style cards. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, I actually struggled to find three cards this year I liked. <laughs> I, kept on, I kept on writing down cards from last year by mistake. Uh, so <laughs> the worst was uh, less challenging than, than the best for me. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't say much for uh, R&D this year. But alas, here, here we are. Um, so my uh, number three uh, for uh, worst card of 2019 is uh, Narset Partner of Bales. Hmm. Uh, he's all, I don't know if he's read it out, he's all know what it does. Um, I think it's, it's uh, obviously true, Man Face Walker against card advantage, it's fine, but like it just, it just does so much. I just hate the design of the card, that just shuts down so much of what other cards uh, or other strategies are trying to do. Uh, it's kind of, it's like a tax, but in a really unfair way or unfun way. And especially it's, you know, it's, I think a problem with all of the Warder Spark uh, Walkers is that just, it's just so, some of them are just so powerful that the tax, the tax is just one-sided. Um, and uh, yeah, you just see those strategies shut down some strategies with that. Uh, I think as well, like it's, like not only are you shutting down some strategies, but it's, it's also, you just have that, just so many feel bad moments when you go to do something that like discards a card and draws a card, or you spend a card and draws the cards, and then you just realize, oh shit, there's sets on the battlefield. Uh, I think, it's also, it is such a unfun situation for both players to, to be in. I find. Yeah, I thought I thought that that's what you were going to say about all the War of the Spark Planeswalkers is that they're such kind of like gotcha cards where you just forget that they're on the battlefield and then you do something and you're like, oh god damn it! Like even even in digital, right, where where those things happen quite a lot less. Like the the information on the battlefield is always, always clear, and you can kind of take a bit more time. You can mouse over things, read them in your own time. Um, people still get caught by, especially by Narset and especially by like Teferi, right? Because you just pass your turn thinking that you've got an instant that you can play, and you're like, oh, they had Teferi. I should have played that on my turn. And the, or you just, you know, you're you're short on lands, and the opponent has a has a, a Narset on the other side. And you're like, right, well, I'm just going to play my draw spell now so that if I draw a land, then I'm set up for next turn or I can play another spell this turn. And you play your draw spell and you've just discarded your card. And yeah. that, all that kind of onboard, very easy to miss static ability is possibly one of the worst things about these Planeswalkers. But uh, yeah, I, I uh, Teferi, no, not Teferi. Uh, Narset is not on my list, but uh, I can certainly... Uh, see your choice of her in your number three spot here yes yeah that's, that's my that's my number three so what is your number three all right well i'm gonna do honorable mention now my honorable mention could be your number one i don't know i've kind of decided to go with well no for my worst cards they're definitely they're definitely obvious but uh maybe my my best cards are a little bit less obvious um but my honorable mention here for my worst cards is going to be oko uh, it's not on my official list, which you might say that that's insane because Oko is such a <laughs> egregious mistake. But I also, I honestly, I just think that Oko is just so insane that it doesn't even need to be on my list. It's like almost above the list. Um, so like that and uh, what's the 
that and Hogak are like, you know, Hall of Fame worst cards. They don't even need to be on the top three list. So honorable mentions to those guys. Yeah, I think I, I actually had them as my, my number one, but I think it's, I mean, yeah, it's such a, um, an, a easy conclusion to make. Uh, such a bold statement. And I, yeah, it's the worst card. So yeah, I think it does make more sense to have him as, um, as, yeah, as, as a you know, number zero or yeah, uh, honorable mention. Yeah, because it's we don't need to, we don't need to talk about him. We, we, ever, we all know we all know why he's broken. Yeah, in we all know what have been wasted on Oko already. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it'd be fair if he was designed as slightly. Don't give a shit. <laughs> he's broken. <laughs> oh, but if it was a plus instead of no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, so many of those conversations. If we started off in tree loyalty, yeah, I mean it's it's. Oh, if he costs five mana, yeah, you know that's if he costs five mana and costs uh, you know. Blue, red, black, and was a dragon. He'd be better. Yeah, that's fine. Like, I, <laughs> uh, I just, those conversations, people redesigning cards. It's it's just so labored. Uh, I think. Yeah, it's my my least favorite part of 2019 was the immense conversations that you end up being in uh, in person and online uh, when it comes to tweaking cards to make them not broken anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, my real actual number three is Once Upon a Time, which is a card. Oh yes, I have uh, redesigned live on this show. So uh, <laughs> there you go, but uh, yeah. So once upon a time, what are we doing? Printing free spells in 2019. What's going on? It's, going- it's a cantrip. <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. I thought. Yeah. We, uh, I thought we agreed that we wouldn't do this anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the design. I like the idea that the game sets the tone of the game. But um, yeah, when you put when you put that into Tron and you keep a one lander, ah, oh, it's, it's it's such a terrible card. Yeah, especially when you even even looking at the flavor, right? And and like like you just said, like the whole thing of oh, it's the first spell that's played in the game, isn't that cool? Uh, even though you know it, it, it's not when your opponent's on the play, but uh, like then it's obviously supposed to contrast with another card in the set, which is happily ever after, right? Which is supposed to be the last thing in a game. But white is just so abysmal, and happily ever after is just such a bad card that you just even forget that. That that is part of like you know a two like a, a dichotomy of cards with once upon a time and once yeah. upon a time it's just so outrageously broken that it's played in all formats. It's like um it's like when the, when the setup setup of a joke is much better than punchline. Yeah, that's exactly seems to be the case for a lot of jokes I tell. <laughs> um, yeah, that's 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 definitely a great choice. Um, What's your number two? Uh, yeah, yeah, my actually yeah. So I suppose my number two was talking about fairy is to fairy for the same reasons as set more or less. I guess obviously to very just does the same thing as our set, but it's just more powerful on its face. Um, I think just yeah, I guess what you know, instead of be laboring the same points again. Uh, I guess we're talking about the effects being spectral. I feel like with the um, with the kind of uh, white uh, tax X you see like in modern or legacy, it's like in a way I kind of feel like the, the likes of Talia or um, or like a lead and arbiter are kind of fair in terms of they have like not only are those uh, taxes you know spectral, but they also like you know you, you kind of make you you kind of make you um you kind of oh, what's it called they uh encourage you know, kind of creative deck building you, know, you kind of kind of build your deck in a way inhibited by the tax that's going to affect all players which i think is a far more uh interesting way to approach an effect like that uh whereas when you're just like yeah i'm playing a deck with t2 colors uh, i'll pay the fairy because it's just going to switch off my bonus deck it's a bit of switch off counter spells i mean all counter spells are now just your bond can't play them like it's a whole it's a whole um Whole group of spells. Uh, you can't be happy now. Yeah, so uh, I'll just say Teferi is my number one of the worst cards here. Just because yeah. like, it's not even a more egregious card, as we said, than Oko. 
it's just that it's just really unfun. And it just turns off a part of the game. One of the parts of the game that I think is one of Magic's, Magic's greatest strengths uh, is the ability to interact at instant speed. It's you know it's why I jumped into Magic you know feet first or head first, or whatever way you say that. Uh, when I found it uh, after playing Hearthstone for ages, I was just like, oh well, the depth of interaction here is just so much more. Um, and you know it's it's a, a point that's repeated a lot, but to fairy basically turns Magic into Hearthstone. And then, as you say, it's not even symmetrical. It's in fact, it's almost like it's it's even more asymmetrical than asymmetrical, if you know what I mean. Because if you have to fairy out and you've plussed it, then you can interact at instant speed with even more things than you ever could before, and your opponent can't do anything. So if you <laughs> plus and you play your your wrath at fucking instant speed during combat. The opponent has absolutely no reports. They can't do anything. So it's just really, really unfun. And that's why it's yeah. memorable. Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually how we put it that way. It's like, not only is it tax, it's also like a, a tax relief. It's like, a, it's a free payout. What's the opposite of tax? It's like a salary. No, that's already the opposite of tax. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's very, very bad. Uh, it's like, it's like imagine you pay checkers and then you just suddenly uh, gain an ability to uh, have your pieces be chess pieces against the checker pieces. Exactly, exactly. All right. My number two is uh, more in the vein of kind of unfun. It's a uh, Veil of Summer. So, oh yes, Veil of Summer again. I'm going to be reductive with it. I'm going to say what everyone else says. One man, a cryptic command. Uh, they just went too far with it this time, right? I can see where they were coming from um, with these other cards that have previously existed in standard uh, as as kind of sideboardy green cards, but this just went too far. Just slapping the draw card on there was just just too much. Um, th- so th- you know the this card has just become ubiquitous in in lots of form. Like before, it was banned in standard. It was just everywhere. Um, yeah, it's just it just left green with almost no weaknesses. Right, it just w- contributed way too strongly to uh, to green's dominance, and again was really unfun. Um, it created a lot of situations where. Or it and other cards around it created situations where uh, if you went for your removal spell and the opponent had their Veil of Summer, the game was over on the spot. And uh, obviously not in your favor. Uh, and then if they didn't, then you know the game can continue apace. Uh, but those moments were occurring on like turn two, turn three. And that was just too early for standard. And it was just such an auto include and a no brainer um, that I just, I just hated the the whole play pattern with it. Um, and just to, it just made like counter spells completely non-viable. And again, as I say, counter spells are, are one of the most important parts of the game for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think my, the, the lowest point of 2019 for me was GPD on, I was in the PTQ, game four GP, uh, you know, get ready to pay your Grixes, taking Grixes for a test drive to see if it was worth playing at the GP. Uh, game one, I uh, on the play Tarrasia turn two. My first opponent plays Island or plays um uh, uh forest. I'm turn one. I'm like, oh no, he's gonna play. He's gonna play goose. And then passes. I'm like, oh thank God, he didn't play goose. Turns out what he was playing was far worse. But uh, yeah, he did. He he failed my uh, game one turn two Tarrasia, and the game was just over. And like, <laughs> I, it was awful for me. I think it was awful for him as well. He was like, I'm sorry. Then I was like, yeah, I bet you feel really clever, really sick play you made there. Well done. 
it's 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 a bad feel for all players. That card. Yeah, yeah, just a horrible, terrible card. Let's delete it. Yes. Um, all right. What's what's your number one? So my number one was uh, uh, sorry, my number one was Oko. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Bro, yeah. Yeah. So you want to jump into best cards? Best cards uh, took it took me a lot. I I struggled so much to find three cards I liked <laughs> this year. Isn't that terrible? That is terrible. <laughs> it's been a very long time. Um, I guess I'll have an honor mention. Um, first card I was going to pick as number one straight away was Karn, Great Creator. But then, I mean, but then obviously it has all the same terrible setbacks as uh, the other Warder Spark, um, James Walkers. And like, yeah, he, he just shut, him just shutting down entire strategies of modern is pretty disgusting. Um, I mean, so wish boards are fun and wishing for stuff is fun. But uh, I, I couldn't, when I, I, I couldn't include him um, with a, an honest heart. Uh, because of the other nonsense he does, he happens to do. Yeah. Uh, so, but my number three, my number three, though, for the same reason, though, is Faye Wishes. Nice. Uh, Faye Wishes is great. Uh, I just, I, even like, even when you're playing it in like the, um, in the five color Golo sex, like it just, you know, it, it just turns the late game into something that's far more interesting than it just gives you so many options. Uh, just having a wish board. Uh, also, the interaction with, you know, you can play the earliest creature, bounce back your hand, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I, I, tr- I really try hard. To make uh, Crixus Fires work for the GP, uh, but I could not because because Veil of Summer was just un- unplayable. Uh, I wish um, maybe it wasn't for Veil of Summer, I could have won that GP with Crixus Fires, but we'll never know. Uh, but like I just yeah, they're just turns set up with, with, with Fires Inventions. Uh, Bay Wishes are, are just absolutely hilarious. Uh, just doing stuff like playing playing the Cold Bolus and uh, playing Wild Celebration on the same turn and then winning immediately is just it's just great. Well, actually, that's more of a <laughs> that's more of a Fires Invention thing. Maybe Fire's Adventure should be my favorite card here. Well, <laughs> Fire's Adventure is also a terrible card because it limits the game magic. Yeah. So in a way, my third favorite card, Faye Wishes, is actually a really bad card called Fire's Adventure, yeah. which uh, should be on my worst on list. <laughs> so um, I could not find three cards I liked this year. <laughs> you. Fair, that's fair. Well, I have four, so I'm going to do another honorable mention. Um, my honorable mention is Embercleave. It's the only red card anywhere on this whole list. Um. Having a playable equipment back in standard again is cool. Embercleave yeah. is really, really strong, but it's not, in my opinion, it's not doing anything crazy. And you can certainly play against it effectively without bending over backwards to change your strategy hugely. Um, it's a good way for like red black type decks or, you know, mono red type decks to try to get through big blockers, which is something that they often have difficulty doing. And yeah, you can just fight against it with, say, I mean, you can let them equip it onto the thing and then just use instant speed removal on the thing. So, you know, it's it's not the end of the world, Embercleave, when it's played against you, although it is often the end of the game. Uh, it's not always, and there's clear counterplay. And I think it's a, a good card, a well-balanced card, but also an exciting card and, you know, a... a, a a standard staple and uh, archetype staple. Yeah, I agree. I think I think what's very interesting is that it took people a long time to. It's one of those. Um, it's a mythic that kind of sat like at a pretty low price price range uh, before I saw play. Yeah. Um, which I think it's always nice when it happens when like something doesn't just spike immediately during um spoiler season. It's like it's kind of I suppose it's a sign of a well designed card that you don't see how powerful it is until you actually play it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and my actual number three is a card that I greatly enjoyed casting for ludicrous amounts of mana many times. It's Mass Manipulation. So again, this is another card that in spoiler season looked terrible and, you know, just in general looked like an absolute jank card or a card that is for commander decks or whatever. 
Um, and then people started to play it in limited and realize, hey, this is quite a good card in limited. Um, because of that limited format, I think allowed you the time to cast it for you know at least X equals two or whatever. And then it kind of broke out in in arena with that that one person. I forget the the name of the person, but they posted on spikes that they had maintained a number one mythic with the blue green mass manipulation deck, the earliest version of it. And then after that, it's just become a mainstay and standard. But it was never super oppressive, right? And always the answer to it was lurking just outside of frame, right? Trustani is there. If mass manipulation is a problem, we have Trustani. So, and also you can just play aggressive decks, right? So it's never going to be a huge, huge problem. It's just good when um, big mid-rangey and control decks start to get super greedy against each other. You bring in the mass manipulations, and then after that's been going for a while, someone comes back in with the aggro decks and... They make they make a big mess out of the mass manipulation decks, and I just think it's a really fun card. And stealing like four things at one time is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's great, and it's it's a uh, <laughs> and it does kind of lead out. Oh, obviously, it's fun. It kind of by way you have to build towards. Yeah, and I think it has, like you said, it has, it, it has, it's just become the the definitive ramp target of the format. Okay, so we have Tartani to keep it in check. Uh, I guess before Tartani, we did have Veil somewhere, uh, which worked pretty well, keeping it in check, but maybe too well because uh, that is a stupid card. Yeah, well, yeah, that was <laughs> the summer was was ridiculous in that spot because you would be pumping ten or twelve mana into your mass manipulation, and then to have it get countered uh, by a one mana spell, and then the opponent also draws a card. That's a card. Bit absurd. Oh my goodness! So, uh, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is Massacre Girl. Massacre Girl. Oh, uh, I'm a big fan of. I, I just I just like five drops. Uh, I think it's it kind of kind of it's one of those cards that kind of. Um, so we could be a parody in a really kind of cool, interesting mid-range game. Uh, you, you, you draw this card, and it's one of those cards that kind of makes you reassess the board state. Um, you can have some really interesting turns where you may, might make an attack that might seem bad, and then your opponent might make the obvious blocks, and then you stand there, mask a girl, and it just, it just, it just perfectly wipe the board. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just a, it's a card I'm always happy to play, and it's uh, uh, it's, just, it's, just, it's just kind of fun setting up those turns. Again, as well, it also kind of acted as, uh, say, the likes of GP Gone, it was like... Um, it was almost like a valve in the format. It probably didn't work. <laughs> probably a valve that didn't work well enough. But uh, in a way, just you know, if you're blowing up your opponent's, um, to wipe your opponent's boards of board of this alliance is obviously very, very powerful. Uh, I kind of, I'd like to say he kind of kept those decks in check, but then those decks would start playing it. Uh, so um, no, I, I think it's just, a, it's just a very fun card. Um, you, you can do some, all sorts of nonsense now with it, and it works pretty really well now with um, with cat and oven. Because uh, you could recur to cash to kind of get as many, or just to get some more uh, triggers off Masked Masked Girl. That's just a, a fun card for all the family. Yeah, that that interaction with um, sacrificing your own stuff is is really cool and interesting. Yes, yes. All right. Now, your number two. Uh, my number two is Kaya's Wrath. So not really a fun card per se, but um, it's a card that you know people have wanted a four mana Wrath back in standard for years and years and years and hey we finally got it and you know it actually says wrath in the name it's cool uh it's it's a uh, so mana intensive so it's wrath of god and damnation in one card uh in terms of the mana cost and i just think that that was a really cool way to balance it because for years and years you know rats have been five mana and they've had maybe little upsides here and there, you know, like Fumigate gains you life or whatever. Um, 
but yeah, Kaya's Wrath, and Kaya's Wrath even has its own upside where you, you know, you gain life if you kill your own creatures with it. So it actually has applications as like a sideboard card in, say, like an Afterlife deck. Is that what that mechanic is called? Afterlife? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, so like, you know, it's just a cool card. It was really shocking to me to see a four mana Wrath back in Standard. But as soon as I saw it, I was like, wow, that's a stroke of genius to, to cost it at that cost. Because it means that really only one or two decks are ever going to be able to play it. Um, so you're really pigeonholed in terms of what you need to be doing if you want to play this card. Uh, and I just thought that, that was a, a great idea for a card like that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's kind of just very nice. It's, just, it's a just very good design, very good take on an old design that's kind of been Ultra Magic History and kind of something that, that has disappeared for a short amount of time. Uh, and this, this is a very good way to bring, good way to bring, bring it back. Yeah. Um, my number one, hopefully it's through number one as well. Well, maybe not. My number one is Command of Dreadhorde. Oh, oh my goodness. The, the turns I've taken with Command of Dreadhorde. I, I hate that card. You hate it? Yeah. Have you never played a Command of Dreadhorde Mirror? It's, it's so much fun. Yeah, that sounds great. Yes, I certainly have. It was terrible. <laughs> oh, I, 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 just, I just love the card. Uh, and I just love to, you know, I guess it's just, just a setting up for a big turn. Uh, a lot of I play, I kind of, are I some of the decks I kind of, um, I'm drawn towards are the ones that kind of set up a big play like that. Uh, and then, yeah, so you know, you get to win the game and you get to do all sorts of nonsense. You got to take your creature, your opponent's creatures. And then I, I always found the mirrors to be really fun because the mirrors, it's like your boat, like trying to avoid putting cards into your own graveyard. And uh, it was really kind of cool grinding back and forth. It's not as, you know, it's not as quickly, like it's on the surface, it might seem like it's forever cast a card first. But you kind of you can, you can control the game to make sure that if your opponent is going to pass it first, that they're going to get a bad round of dry board. And it's just a it's just a card I, I enjoy playing. My least favorite thing was to use uh, the elder spell to kill like my opponent's two planeswalkers or whatever they had on the battlefield, like a Teferi you know whatever. And then they just get it back next turn with the command of the dreadhorde. That was my one of my least favorite things over the past year. <laughs> that never happened to me. <laughs> well, aren't you lucky? <laughs> I, I do think it's it's a cool card. It and Bolas's Citadel are kind of in a similar space. Um, they're cards that you look at and you go, oh, Commander card. That, that's not going to see playing standard. And it's in the same, you know, it's the same kind of space that I saw, like Casualties of War and Mass Manipulation. I think I, I've just, personally, this is a year of, for me, um, looking again at my card evaluations and trying to understand uh, try, try not to be as dismissive of cards that I think are not good enough for Constructed because I've been proven wrong again and again and again this year and certainly Command the Dread Horde was one of the cards that did that as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I remember um, I think around the time Command the Dread Horde was spoiled, uh, I think it was um, Simon in the shop. Uh, I, was, I, was, you know, I was chatting with him and he, he said he talked about this deck he had as like a green black deck with all the Explorer stuff. He got all this cards back at one time with Command the Dread Horde. And I was like, oh, that sounds terrible. I never want to see play, and like, I mean, like three weeks later, we were like, um, you know, we were kind of, we were, I remember this was a bunch of us in shop were looking at the lists of like the, um, I think it was a four hundred or five hundred version with the fairy, and we were like, oh my god, how can I beat the deck? And back of my head is like, I feel like I dismissed this deck earlier on in the format, but I can't remember when. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, later on, Simon came up and reminded me that it was him who, <laughs> who had pioneered the first. Yeah. All right, and my number one is in the same colors as my previous card. It shares one word in the name. That's my previous card. You know? Oath of Kaya. Yeah, my number one is Kaya Orzov Usurper. Oh, that was Oath of Kaya. I was like, what? No, no. 
<laughs> yes, okay, that, that is much better choice. Uh, I do I do kind of like Oath of Kaya as well. Um, yeah. No, so this card, this is my number one because shout out to Kaya, the only non-broken three mana planeswalker in existence. No, that's not true. There's plenty. No, I, I... There's plenty of three mana planeswalkers that aren't broken. Yeah. But Kaya is another one of those cards that everybody underrated when she was spoiled, and then she actually turned out to be a good role player in standard. Uh, a lot of relevant like one one drops that could be exiled. Uh, exiling cards from graveyards has been relevant at several times during the you know the previous year, and she has been used effectively in sideboards, usually by like Esper Hero decks stuff like that. Um, but yeah. Fantastic card, uh, deceptively powerful, good in older formats, and overall just at an excellent uh, balance of power level for a three mana planeswalker. So I got have to shout that out. Yeah, yeah, that's something that um, little do we know before coming into the next set that um, balance three mana planeswalkers would be something that wizards sort of goes to forget how they could, how to do. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, Kaya or the server was um, is definitely got it. A very good design of a of a tree mana walker. But I feel like even before that, like we saw like the Sarkhan, the fire lad, the dragon one, the, the tree mana Sarkhan, that was that was a good take on tree mana walkers. I think we we saw a few examples of good ones, um, but then we saw so many bad ones then in in uh Ward's Park. Yeah, like yeah, Sarkhan Fireblood is good, but he really only does one thing, you know what I mean? Whereas Kaya can go into different decks potentially. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Uh, that makes a difference. Yeah. Um, yeah, so shout out to Kaya. Also, uh, Sarkhan is from 2019, right? Wait, is Kaya also from 2019? No. No, that was January. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, from before, uh, kind of leading up toward the spark, there were some good pre of walkers. Yeah. A lot of battles. Yeah. Yeah, Ravnica Legion was Kaya. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that was uh, that was the definitive list of the best and worst cards of 2019. If you have oh, yes. a definitive list, just you know, email email it into us, goldcrackpodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And also tell us why we're wrong. <laughs> no, we're always correct. Uh, yeah, all right then. That's gonna do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Bye bye.